0: those who bind and themselves, and who's made and them is themselves, shall feel the wrath of my
1: bombast. Hello and welcome to Call In The Night Boys. Today we are going to be discussing the band The Fool. Gav, tell me what... Your feelings about the Fall, the band, and Mark Smith were before I gave you an album to listen to. So the Fall were
0: one of those bands who, if you were a devotee of uh, John Peel's show on Radio One, you would have raved endlessly about it. But yeah. because I didn't listen to John Peel, because for some reason I wasn't particularly into radio in my late teens. I was kind of a bit nonplussed by it. Like I heard a track here or there, and was sort of probably not that taken with it. But then I was kind of quite into my goth-stroke rock phase at that point. So,
1: vampirism—it's fucking is it's it's a crime at the end of the day. What, what kind of era was this? What?
0: I right. mean, I know they started in the late 70s. I remember friends at school raving about the fall in probably sort of mid mid to late 80s, I suppose. Right, right, right. Uh, around about the time that the Smiths were coming to prominence as well.
1: I first heard them in 1987 when they had their first top 30 hit. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Which was... There's a Ghost that? in My House. It's a cover of a Northern Soul record. Oh, okay. It's actually very good. It's quite upbeat and stuff. My Sorry. overall impression
0: was, was basically uh, confusion, I think. Mm. Sort of uh, quite uh, shambolic music with this dr- drunken lunatic kind of rambling over the top.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I liked the fact that he sounded so different when I heard There's a Ghost in My House. Um, uh, I
0: think the album we're about to listen to, is quite some way into their career
1: I think this is about eight or nine albums in this album we're going to talk about tonight uh, which is considered to be one of their best
0: so tell us more about it what are we about to listen to the
1: 1985 album This Nation Saving Grace
0: are they a band that you can ascribe a genre to
1: post-punk I suppose right you know they they change over time obviously with all their different personnel different influences so to begin with they're quite punky and then they become um, almost poppy at times, and then the turn of the '90s, and so they use sequences and drum machines, and um, you know, there's definitely a, a dance and house influence. And then in the 2000s and 2010s, they kind of use those sequences, but it's again much more guitar-based. Mark Smith was very keen on garage rock, the kind of bands like the Trashmen and the Monks and stuff. Have you heard of the Monks? You, you know? No, and he really loved Bo Diddley. Which um, and he
0: does. He does kind of affect something of a, an American accent while he's singing.
1: He does. It's weird. It sort of veers from very straight up North Manchester to almost Americanisms. I think he'd probably get very annoyed by me saying that, but they, he got annoyed at most things.
0: Particularly the South. He hated
1: everyone in the music industry. That means most bands, particularly any music executives. It's an understandable position there, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the music industry is, has always been very seedy and exploitative, hasn't it, I think. I, I, well, I lent you this album because I thought it, I think it's one of the more accessible albums that they did. Mm. And it's more of an in into the full But, you know, again, it might not be your cup of tea and that's absolutely fine.
0: Well, I think overall I enjoyed it. I mean, I made some notes about the individual tracks. I think it's sort of, overall, it it kind of takes amateurishness almost as a a kind of guiding light.
1: I think Um, it does, yeah.
0: Which is why it's quite funny to read um, critiques of it, which... You know talk about how innovative and uh, <laughs> um, you know uh, the, this kind of artistry involved because there mm. are at least two or three tracks at the beginning of the album that sound like either a very new band rehearsing uh, a track that they 've only played a few times before, or alternatively a teenager in their bedroom kind of like practicing some riff that they 've heard from a band that they like and and kind of you know. Just repeating it over and over again.
1: Yeah.
0: But it sort of worked. I mean, I've since read sort of uh a couple mm-hmm. of bands reference that I instantly thought of when I was listening to this.
1: Mm-hmm. It has
0: that kind of drone thing that you get with the Velvet Underground, for example.
1: Yes, yes, absolutely. Uh, and
0: early early um stooges as well. Which is sort of um, you know, it's kind of related to that that kind of uh Sort of drug-induced state, I suppose. Um, whether whether it's stimulants or whether whether it's uh, kind of hallucinogenic drugs, you know that that kind of in, insistent baseline, insistent kind of um, repetitive uh, riff, and kind of um, very very kind of basic drumbeat behind it, but very driving, you know. Mm, mm, and mm. it seems like they're they're always driving somewhere, but they never actually arrive.
1: You know? <laughs> yes, <laughs> I do. Yeah.
0: Well, the first, I mean, the first track, uh, Mansion, I mean, that seems to me like a classic post-punk track. Mm, mm. It made me think of something like television, maybe.
1: Um, Yeah, yeah. He would never admit that it was like television, though. No, probably not. No, no, yeah, they would... because
0: they were uh, sort of new wave, right? This is a classic example of a, a track that never really gets started. Just when you think it's reaching a sort of crescendo, it starts fading out again. But it is very tight. The the bass and the guitars are always very kind of like interlocked, I think, in a lot of tracks
1: It's interesting that you say that it's uh, sort of slightly amateurish because um, the eminent American rock critic, Robert Chris Gow, he actually calls himself the Dean of American rock critics. Right. Which <laughs> okay. ma- makes, makes me hate him immediately. In this contemporary review of this album, This Nation Saving Grace from 1985, in The Village Voice, he says, If the sentimental fallacy of good American rock and roll is roots, the sentimental fallacy of good British rock and roll is amateurism. Because I think there is this thing that, you know, almost like the Sex Pistols or whatever, it's like we must get back to basics. Mm. You know, three chords since Manchester Free Trade Hall in 1976. Which
0: he was at, of course, along with everybody yeah,
1: else. Yeah, exactly. I was there. My dad was there.
0: Yeah, I mean, I was only about four at the time, but I yeah. was definitely there. Probably like that with the Sermon on the Mount. Yeah, I saw, saw Jesus do that thing with the loaves and the fishes. Yeah. Everybody's went to the gig, but I, I mean I do so I'm well, so fucking what. So track number two, Bombast, it's sort of slightly inept punk. It's sort of like a Iggy Pop Stooges the track, I think. Yeah. Again, yeah. it's not one of them that never really gets kind of going, which yeah. gives it that sort of velvet underground kind of sort of slightly out there feel. Right. Which and when I say they're bad, I'm not saying they're not interesting. I'm just saying, you know, musically there's there's not um, there's, there's not a lot to a, them. A lot going on. No. What you need is the first one. I think that, where I first started to get interested because it's it's got this hypnotic guitar and bass, mm. and then this these hard to follow lyrics. But the first the first one that kind of um, impressed itself on my consciousness was "What you need is to meet your horrible new dad," which I just thought <laughs> was a great line. One of the standout tracks for me is "Spoiled Victorian Child." Yeah. well i guess it's more it 's more like a conventional song, I suppose, but it actually has a bridge which is quite sophisticated. <laughs> what I like most about it is the uh, the title sounds like a biz character.
1: So that's a great song, and I can see why that um, stands out. On the end of side A, or one, is L.A.
0: What I wrote down when I heard it was, it's like 60s psychedelic pop meets 80s rave. Um, yeah, yeah. And in yeah. a sense, it kind of prefigured a lot of 90s dance tracks, or, or well, sort of indie dance tracks. I yeah, guess. I agree. And, uh, to yeah. me, it sort of felt like they discovered... They're sort of as a band discovered their musicianship in this track, <laughs> they're no longer sort of like messing around in the rehearsal room, mm. they're actually kind of written a you know, a serious song, shall mm. we say. <laughs> singing more in this song so he is using yeah instrument rather than just sort of reciting kind of um, you know declaiming yes most of the other tracks
1: i uh, yes i think maybe this album is a pivot where he does start to sing more certainly through the 80s but also in later works in the 90s and uh, 2000s
0: because he can actually sing,
1: that's the thing. He, you know, can, that's... he can, as I say, he has that American twang and that famous R. Ah. I was uh, going down to the uh It's a post-cutter. bit like
0: uh, Gordon Brown's uh, jaw drop <laughs> end of every sentence. Exactly,
1: exactly. Uh, yeah, That and on that uh, that particular song, Brick um, sings, this is my happening and it freaks me out, which is a quote <laughs> from... Um, It's a quote from Beyond the Valley of the Dolls by Russ Meyer. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So I think they're kind of playing around with that. This is my happening and it freaks
0: me out. Oh, it's I came top in English like two years on the run and they never thought it was me. All the other Smiths used to get congratulated. I like that. It's good being a Smith sometimes. You get away with murder, you know. A painting causes a furore. The painting is of T.S. Eliot the Poet. The artist is Wyndham Lewis, and on account of its rejection, Augustus John resigns from the Royal Academy. Both he and Mr Lewis feel the same way about that august body. Mr Wyndham Lewis, is this picture a very unorthodox piece of work?
1: No, it is not unorthodox. Uh, Naturally, it does not conform to the uh, standards of atrocious silliness of the Royal Academy.
0: Do you think its rejection will affect its value in the eyes of the public?
1: I think not. Did write about why I liked the lyrics. They refuse to see the everyday as everyday. I did put they were surrealistic, but they're actually they're more like Dada, I think. Yeah. Is his kind of reference point. And Wyndham Lewis, who I haven't read knows pictures. Uh I've just looked at his books in the bookshop. You just
0: you just looked at his books in the bookshop and thought, I'm not gonna read those.
1: (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Wyndham Lewis you know, he started this group, the Vorticists, who are kind of like the futurists, but not so fascists. <laughs> yeah, right. But he was... Um, Much
0: less fascist. Um, well, they were kind of the British futurists.
1: Lewis was quite right-wing, particularly in the and th- 20s and 30s, I think. Okay. And then he... That was a bad time to be right-wing. Well, that's the thing. I think he started out... He Apparently, he wrote a book called Hitler uh, in 1931, praising him. Okay, And then a few years later thought, oh no, actually he's an awful psychopath.
0: Was he aristocratic? Because there seems to be that massive blind spot on the part of aristocrats with regards...
1: Yeah, to I think he was, that. I think he was. But also, I mean, people like H.G. Wells, um, not Hitler, but certainly Mussolini, uh, was impressed with the, the third way of fascism, as it was well, th- advertised think- then.
0: As the this, as this sort of futurists kind of intimated, it, fascism was very interested in technology because it yeah. is a means to an end in terms of transforming society in a yeah. quite militaristic way. Um,
1: I think it also, at its beginning, futurism was sort of anti sentimental, which is, and maybe vorticism as well, and that appeals to Marquis e. Smith. But obviously, Marionetti from the futurist ends up lionising Mussolini and Mussolini's, because you know, fascism is like the ultimate sentimentality, isn't it? Yeah. A kind of murderous sentimentality about you know man, woman, and nation and all this sort of thing.
0: The the woman as the mother figure. And... Yeah.
1: The provider, the strong man, and then the the uh, reproductive and productive woman. And also um, just
0: looking terrible uh, kind of folk um music and and literature. yeah i mean fa- fascist
1: art is even worse than soviet realist art it's really yeah. bad it's terrible stuff it wants to claim a history whereas i think with the futurists to begin with they didn't they wanted to destroy history and start something new with a kind of uh fascistization of, of technology mm. And that's the thing with Marky e. Smith. I'm not saying he's a fascist or a futurist or anything else, but he doesn't want to return to what he did before. But it does always sound like the fool, like John Peel says, you know, always different, always the same.
0: So it reminds me in a strange way of Wire, who, okay. again, never returned to their old stuff. Mm, for, for a true. brief point, they, they engaged a... Chippie Band as a warm-up act to play their old tracks.
1: Really, that's nice.
0: But you know, they release an album. Uh, I think they're still releasing. Them. They release an album probably like once a year or every every other year. Mm. Um, they seem to be doing a tour every other year, right?
1: And they're not relying on their former glories. There, it's always new stuff, is it?
0: Yeah, I mean, right. not necessarily good new stuff, but um, <laughs> no, yeah, that's the problem.
1: Yeah. Can you imagine if the Stones just played from their, you know, two thousand and five album that was it? <laughs> <laughs> People would yeah. be pretty annoyed. They get there'd be a riot. There would be a riot.
0: The um, um yeah. The gigs would start to dry up, I think.
1: Yeah, they would. Hey, Keith, have you seen the date on these marshmallows? They are well past their sell by, they're getting old.
0: Uh, so first track of the second side is yeah. Gut of the Choir," which, yeah. if nothing else, is a great uh, title for a, a song. Yeah. Uh, no idea what it means, but uh, <laughs> it's interesting. Um, but I really thought this sounded like a Doors riff, uh, particularly, but well, it sounded like the song The Changeling on L.A. Woman. Really? Um, yeah, it's got that, yeah.
1: Oh yeah, and the, and this one goes dun 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 or something, doesn't it? I'm gonna I'm gonna dub over that with the actual songs, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah um, yeah. What did you make of this one then?
0: Yeah, I like this one. I, I mean, it's one of the, I thought it was one of the most kind of anarchic um, mm. tracks on the album so far. Um, Mm. But I like the the way he keeps uh, Yelling stick it in the gut Um, Yeah And then it reaches a sort of I I think unusually For their songs on this album It actually reaches a kind of crescendo Rather than just kind of A repetitive refrain That continues Mm. throughout the whole song It it kind of builds up to something Mm. Um, And it's one of the most opaque In terms of I have no idea what he's, he's singing stroke talking about.
1: But yeah. I kind, of, I, yeah sorry. I kind of don't care
0: because it's just, it's kind of, it's got a, um, a sort of anarchic vibe that's, that's, that's very appealing.
1: I think the song is about government attempts to quantify life. So there's this idea of like, you take it from the medium poor and then you give it to the poor poor and then you, and then you transfer it to someone else, just to the rich or whatever. Because I think that at the time, Margaret Thatcher was, you know, they didn't really like the idea that people were, whatever their status, whether they were artists or or musicians or um out-of-work panel beaters, that they were on the dole, and they should, they, you know, it was the start of like deserving poor and uh, deserving poor, you know what I mean? I think
0: it started in the Victorian era, didn't it?
1: Well, it did, but I'm just, well, I mean, you know, the resurgence of that. Right, which we had, you know, go for, you know, even with Gordon Brown talking about hardworking families and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I think it's a rail against that idea.
0: Wasn't that David Cameron?
1: Um, I think, I think, yeah, it was. I mean, David Cameron took up the baton with uh, much pleasure, but he, um, I think, it sort of started with Gordon Brown because, really, towards the end because of the crash. Because Gordon Brown also made that thing about. British jobs for British people, didn't he?
0: God, really? Yeah, and I wouldn't. <laughs> What's going on?
1: <laughs> well, I don't know. It was just a kind of desperate grab for populism, but um, mm. you know, I don't think it was really After his. After Labor-
0: Labour's recession, you mean?
1: Yes, yes, exactly. After the global recession that was caused by Labour spending money on shore start centres,
0: I'm looking forward to referring to uh, this this current crisis as the conservatives pandemic
1: yeah yeah, yeah. that's not going to happen that's really not going to happen he's going to come out
0: in my circle yeah yes
1: exactly in my in in our ever decreasing friendship circles <laughs> uh that's gonna that's what it's going to be called everywhere else everyone's going to say if you know unless like a million people die everyone else is going to say Oh, didn't Trump and Boris do well? Didn't they do well? No, absolutely. Weren't weren't they brilliant? I love the way he kept shaking hands and he got it himself. That was brilliant. (laughs) What a brilliant play. What brilliant play from a master communicator. Anyway, yeah, so Gus and the quantum I think it's sort of about that. It's about attempts to hive off people into categories. Right, uh, okay. Possibly for benefits, but also for other things as well, yeah.
0: The next song is quite interesting, My New House. I I wrote, uh, looking at my notes for this, I wrote that this was fairly cacophonous. Um, some uh, it's got some great lyrics keep away from my new house is a good one
1: and also it's got windowsills as if it's that's got like a...
0: pills, it's got windowsills what's that again sorry it's got drawers with pills it's got windowsills
1: <laughs> that's good and that's proper poetry in my opinion it's <laughs> good I mean, yeah. the thing
0: is I th- probably when i was a teenager I liked uh, music that was either kind of rebellious in a sort of sex pistols kind of way, mm. Mm. like it had swearing and stuff in. Or I probably liked stuff that was quite precise and tuneful. It's, I guess because I liked. I like things like Joy division and oh. I like Goth music which is all quite sort of melodic, I suppose. Mm. It, it, it mm. focuses around arpeggios and, and quite tight riffs. So I probably wouldn't even have got things like the Stooges when I was uh, in my mid-teens. Right, right. It was right. all a bit too raw for me. Yeah, uh, it was for
1: me to begin with, certainly. Whereas this, uh, this
0: probably appeals to me more now because I kind of, I kind of like, quite like chaotic, slightly shambolic... Um, and there's a big kind of element of fuck you in the whole of this album. Yeah. It's all about, I don't know. There's, there's music and then there's just doing what I want to
1: (laughs) do. Yes, that's right. Yeah. (laughs) I think that's that's what
0: Martin Smith is doing. Yeah. We could make some nice songs, but actually I'm just, we're just going to make, you know, uh, make some interesting noise
1: i think that's the thing i think he was really impressed with captain beefheart and the fact that captain beefheart just did exactly what he wanted to on that famous album what is it track master
0: replica yeah
1: and he famously as well captain beefheart was a real tyrant like mark smith yes um i think
0: story of him imprisoning his band inside his house on Laurel Canyon. That's right. They had, a, they had a bag of rice and a bag of beans. Yeah. Uh, um, and that's basically why they lived off. I think you exactly. told this story it's a um, guy who did Paris, Texas.
1: vim um, Vendors?
0: No, the musician, I mean.
1: Oh, Rykuda. Yeah, Ry
0: Cuda, Yeah, Rykuda sort of uh, visited them to... Mm. I don't know whether to do to place music with them or just see how they were doing. But he said they were sort of in lockdown. Yeah. Um, whilst, we, whilst putting together the tracks for this next album, I think this. didn't
1: Rykuda play on the first Magic Band album? And no, then no. he, and then he thought, yeah, I'm not, I'm not standing for this. <laughs> <laughs> like a lot of people in the fall, they do one album and they go away. <laughs> A lot of difference of opinion on how things should be done.
0: I was probably just a little bit more vocal about it, which would still be not very vocal, I and mean, it certainly would not be, you know, fist flailing and fingers pointing. It'd be just like, well, excuse me, but we're not quite happy about that, you know. Mark Smith was quite critical of Mark Riley's playing and, you know, his attitude.
1: Mark Riley, he wanted to do stuff his way, and I think that kind of that clash.
0: Well, he wanted to do the hits every night, No, know, I, I, I stopped with the group. Man. It was like there's only one leader in the fall, you know, Mark, and then I suppose Mark was a bit of a challenge to that. He said, we're going to Europe in, in about a month. I went, all oh, right, OK, he says, but I uh, don't want you to come. I was like, what? Then he said, yeah, we're going to do it without you. I said, "All oh, right, right, OK. Um, he said, if you don't go very well, <laughs> we'll call you when we get back and you can rejoin the band, and I'm like... Right, okay. (laughs) Like in the days, you know. So the next thing I knew, yeah, it's about a month later, I think, and they were going to Europe. I've still had the phone call.
1: Anyway, so my favourite song on the album and I think a lot of people's favourite song on the album is the song Paintwork I just love the way it just continues and more and more things are added to it
0: Uh, Yeah, I liked it Um, I mean, I just wrote You're spoiling all the paintwork which is kind of what this song is all about it's just uh, it's taking the idea of a pop song and just uh, spoiling it there's not actually much in the way of um, diatribe on this one it, no it's, uh, he does have a bit of narrative but essentially he's just always coming back to the fact that he's spoiling all the paintwork <laughs> which I like it's okay. <laughs> he's clearly quite pleased about that yeah, yeah people just say to me Mark you're spoiling all the paintwork You
1: know that annoying phrase when you're painting something and someone says you've missed a bit? Yeah. It's like the opposite of that. He wants to start dragging his fingers across the paintwork, you know.
0: Well, when people, uh, when you're washing your car and people come up and say, hey, you can do mine for me. Oh, gosh,
1: yeah. Yeah. And you just want to hit. uh, Yeah. That's when you need
0: Marky Smith there, I think. I think you do there's a uh, quote from the Guardians uh, Dave, Simpson, <laughs> Dave Simpson writing in the Guardian in 2011 which I was thought was a brilliant example of um, the kind of ludicrous purple prose that um, people came out with about the fall sort of many years after they kind of reached and passed their peak
1: yeah. which I would and, add he never liked by the way I would add that. Well, I was wondering yeah. about that.
0: I was wondering if on the one hand, like he'd be contemptuous of it, but also like the fact that people were saying he was some kind of genius. Well, uh, he, he definitely he liked the genius
1: up. appellation. Yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> everything else could go to hell. Yeah.
0: So the, the quote is, um, at the peak of their accessibility, uh, this is talking about this album uh, that we're discussing. Yeah. At the peak, and he's saying they're at the peak of their accessibility and yet strangeness. The band are so tightly drilled that not a second or sound is wasted or innovation missed. Brix's tangy, uh, sorry, Bricks's twangy riff ricochets balmy from pop to a sinister dirge and back to dizzying effect. When Marky Smith accidentally erases part of paintwork, the results become part of the track. Now, this is the kind of sanctifying of mm. um, music that. I find quite irritating. I kind of think Markie Smith would probably have found quite irritating as well Yeah. Um, in that he probably wanted to be recognized as being a strange genius, but this sort of like ass kissing I think would possibly have annoyed him.
1: Yeah. He would have hated, he would have absolutely hated that bit. Yeah. He, he, you know, just leave it a genius and get on, you know, that's what.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, let's talk about I am Damo Suzuki. I think he actually does a pretty good impersonation of Damo Suzuki in this. On this, he does. Yeah,
1: and the band do quite a good impression of Can. I think.
0: Yes, although it is noticeable that they're not as good as Can.
1: But... No. <laughs> <laughs> no. Few, few people are though to be fair it's not,
0: it's not psychedelic jazz uh, yeah. jazz rock it's more like punk jazz maybe yeah I don't
1: know. what have you got in that paper bag is it a dose off it's about to ain't got no time for western with that insistent drum beat and he references the song vitamin c and
0: yeah that's right
1: all that sort of thing Um, i
0: mean i think at this point in the album if you weren't completely sold on them you would be getting slightly fatigued by the the kind of um, studied non musicianship of um, a lot of the tracks, yeah. and this just kind of changes it up a gear. Um, yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: Because, yeah, yeah. they clearly are doing almost like a, an homage. Yes, uh, they are.
1: It is. It's a straight homage, really. Yeah. yeah said, uh, I don't like your records much, but uh, what are your
0: lyrics about, you know, So we just got on from there.
1: No, that's not what I said. I said, (laughs) I said, you were, I said, said. well, it was like, um, (laughs) I thought you guys were brilliant, but I can't understand your lyrics, and they irritate me because I can't understand them, what I meant to say. I think it's quite inspiring as a writer, if you're trying to write as well, because as I say, because he picks up these little phrases, one of my favorite songs is called lie dream of a casino soul where he talks about things like turrets of victorian wealth which i think is a great phrase it's really good Mm. um but then he will put it in with stuff uh you know the big album around that time that that single came out uh which many full fans like is their favorite album is hex induction hour it's from 1982 and the, the the album cover is just kind of like it's almost like toilet graffiti Right. some of it's his lyrics some of it's just um, whatever it is you know Uh, and it has the phrase have a bleeding guess i try and understand what we're talking about (laughs) Um, but um, and i like that that he's kind of mixing that very very low and some high stuff as well i think that's really interesting and very and not smarmy in in the postmodernist or um Caricature of postmodernist way, it, you know, there's no smarm in it. There may, there may be um, misplaced pride, <laughs> but, but no smarm. And then the final one, to Nook or N.K. Roachman Yarbles.
0: Encroachment, I suppose it's supposed to be. Encroachment, speak. yeah.
1: To encroachment. Oh, yeah. Thanks for pointing that out to me many, many years later.
0: Yeah, that's all right. It's, uh, yeah. Just, <laughs> that's because I read the Wikipedia entry. Oh, so right. Okay. It made it profoundly uh, obvious. Yeah. And
1: Otherwise, that's kind of...
0: like To N.K. Roachman?
1: Yeah. Encroachment, yes, there you go. Um so yarbles is a uh, phrase from Clockwork Orange. Yeah, right. Which means bollocks. Um,
0: a short a shortened version of Yarbollocks, yeah. Yeah.
1: For me it's a nice exit to the album and it's short and sweet and that's the end. And a lot of people are thinking, Thank God. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the the baseline on this though it seemed like a callback to uh, an earlier trap. Maybe it mentioned.
1: Yeah, well that's the thing. I think that's this idea of repetition is that eventually the repetition becomes something different. That's the idea. Mm. He probably would have hated this comparison, but almost like Andy Warhol with his screen prints of Marilyn Monroe. Some of them are pristine, some of them are more decayed all this sort of mm. thing.
0: Well, it's in the nature of screen printing as well. Yeah,
1: exactly, exactly. So the process is there. Even though it's supposed to be a kind of pop-ready product, you can see the process there. Even though he wanted to be very apart from the process, you can still see it there. And everybody recognizes an Andy Warhol, so it's it's paradoxical, you know. And I think that's true of The fall as well, is that the oh, no, now I really do sound like Dave... What was his name? Dave Simpson. <laughs> no, this is, this is good. This is good.
0: <laughs> oh my God! I didn't want to join for obvious reasons, being the wife, and so. But then, I, I found it quite easy to play with them, and you know, I just stuck with it. I mean, I, I treat Ellen a completely different when she's in the group. It's not like you know, treat her like everybody else. It's hard sometimes, you yeah. know. I don't think it's important to Mark. He doesn't differentiate between women and men as humans, as people, and certainly not as musicians, so it makes no difference. No, women are a lot, a lot better, actually. At a lot of things musically, <clears throat> you just take it up. You can just give them an idea. A lot of fellas, you know, they want to know the mechanics of it all the time, which I can't explain to them, because believe it or not, I, I still don't know a D from an E or a F from an A Nominate and an E. Is the fall just Marky Smith as he would have it? Mm. Um, or is this about a band with an ever changing lineup where the lineup sort of dictates what the fall is at any kind of one point in time? And I think they're different to a lot of bands where it's just one of the founding members exists mm. throughout the whole lifetime of the band. Mm. Essentially they're just playing the same songs. And I think in the in the case of the fall. It's almost as though Marky Smith is kind of like the animus for other... Now I'm starting to sound like, uh, what's his face? sort of animus for other musicians to kind of discover the sort of full sound and try and replicate it. And then that becomes whatever the fall is at that point. A little bit like something like Gong, perhaps. But I remember Dave Allen from Gong in a radio interview been described as a leader of gong and his response was like there's no leaders in gong man <laughs> you know, gong is just like what is happening at this point in this time you know right right um but you always have to have Marky smith to have the fall so it has to
1: be Marky smith there to be the fall they can't exist without him you know like for instance if 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 brian wilson dies and mike love could just about carry i mean i know they're separate bands anyway but mike love could just about carry on with the um, the Beach Boys, couldn't he? Mm. But with Mar- Mark Smith, no. That's it. Now he's dead. It's over. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, uh, the musicians who you, you know, the, there's there's a whole range of musicians, uh, some of which were had quite a long term in the ba- long time in the band that really left their mark. You know. Whether that's bricks, whether that's Steve Hanley uh, Mark Riley, you know whoever it is, or Elena Polo, his wife of the last the last part of the fall um, they they did they they made a real difference you know they made a real difference to how what the direction was. they managed to kind of tame. His wayward, well, not tame his waywardness, but kind of channel it. I think,
0: because he didn't actually play any instruments, did he? Like, he played harmonica really badly.
1: Yeah, um, and violin very badly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
0: Played violin badly. That's um, that's quite a uh, musical statement.
1: Yeah, that's like anyone who picks up a violin for the first yeah. time. <laughs> the experience of being in the fall will give you the most fantastic time of your life that you would never have had in any other band but at the same time you also get some of the most frightening experiences I mean it's, it, it's kind of like that I think The Guardian did a Where to Start with The Fool recently How to Think
0: About The Fool
1: Yes, this is the correct way of thinking about The Fool The York
0: Notes Guide
1: We don't like his sometimes reactionary positions but we'll just about forgive him <laughs> <laughs> I said this album was like uh, maybe an end to the full. Do you think you would listen to any more or buy an album?
0: Yeah, I think I need to listen to this album more because mm. there are uh, there are things in it I like. Mm. And I think I need to find out why I like them. And I probably would end up in that position you were talking about where you actually just obsessively listen to this band for a while and then don't listen to them for about six months after that. Yeah. Uh, um, but more likely now than I would have done, age sixteen. Well, I think which is a reflection that I should have been a lot more open-minded when I was sixteen about music. But uh,
1: no, I, I was like a, a kind of Calvinist about music when I was about fifteen or sixteen. It's like these are the things that are good and and will be saved, and everything <laughs> else is going on the scrap heap. Even stuff like. um well, you know, because Rave was coming in. I didn't like it to begin with. Andy Weatherall died recently. And now oh, yeah. I really I really like that stuff now. But I didn't when I was 15 in 1989, 1990. I didn't like it at all. I was, yeah, I was very determined about what was good and what was bad. And I still have the odd moment like that. Like, for instance, I've never, I've even now I've never got over the idea that Robbie Williams had a music career. <laughs> it's never... It's never quite, I've never quite computed it. Yeah. I can't do You've been listening to Call in the Night, boys, where Gav and I have been discussing the Fall and their 1985 album, This Nation's Saving Grace. You heard excerpts from that LP, as well as the Monk's I Hate You and Way Round from the Fall's 2000 LP, The Unutterable. You also heard audio from the 2004 BBC documentary The Wonderful and Frightening World of Marquis Smith. With contributions from Marky Smith, Elena Pulu, Brix Smith Start, Steve Hanley, Mark Riley, Ben Pritchard, and Grant Chopis. You also heard audio from a 2011 Marky Smith interview under the title The British Masters. Both those programs can be found on YouTube. Oh, you also heard audio from Beyond the Valley of the Dolls by Russ Meyer. Please legally stream, download or buy this music or the videos and we will see you again next time. Before I go, I just want to give my sincere apologies at the awful distortion on my microphone for this episode. Um, I was using an earphone, phone mic and it was not going well but there you go next time it will be much improved bye for now